0: Welcome to a throwback edition of the Social Flight Live podcast, where we feature a special past episode that stood out from all the rest. Join our live broadcast every Tuesday evening at 8 p.m. Eastern at SocialFlightLive.com. Social Flight is brought to you by Aspen Avionics, Avidyne, Bose Aviation, Continental Aerospace Technologies, Lightspeed Aviation, Massimo Mighty Sat, Tempest Aero Group, and Whip Air. And now, here's your host, Jeff Simon. Hello, and welcome to a very special edition of Social Flight Live for EAA's Spirit of Aviation Week brought to you by Avidine. We have a wonderful guest joining us for today's program. Jason Shepard of M0A is here. You know, if you don't know Jason, you've been hiding under a rock somewhere because I'll tell you, all over the internet and revolutionizing the way that people learn how to fly and get exposed to it. Welcome, Jason. Thanks for joining us. Awesome, Jeff. Thanks so much for having me.
1: Really, uh, really appreciate it. Sorry I'm not in the fancy studio. Everyone else, we're working literally
0: from the spare bedroom, making making magic happen still. That's, that's okay. It's where all the opportunities and new views on things come from. I, I, I have to say, uh, I was introduced to uh, your videos and your work through uh, my boys from there, uh, getting into aviation, getting started, and they've been working on it for a very long time. And I absolutely love the enthusiasm and the very unique kind of perspective that you bring to it where did this all start but take me back to how how you got into this it's, it's
1: ironic you asked that and, and I'll relate it to your boys, get an early start. I was very, very blessed to get an early start. In fact, this past Sunday was my 19 year anniversary for my Young Eagles flight, ironically, <laughs> right around uh, EAA's Spirit of Aviation Week right now. So that's uh, just out, outstanding, a lot, a lot of memories. Very thankful to have an early start in aviation. You know, I always thought, I'm gonna be an airline pilot one day. Then I realized, well, They're gone all the time and I wanna be home more often. I'll be a charter pilot, you know? And then I realized, well, they're gone all the time too. And I just (laughs) found this knack for teaching that I've really just, you solo your first student and you're like, man, this is, this can get addictive. This is exciting. So it it started with that. And there's so many naysayers that, oh, you can't, you can't make money as a flight instructor. You can't do this. And we just put our head down and got to work and, it grew into what is now m0a.com. And, and now ironically, while I don't take on students other than our, our 30 plus team members, all we do is we really, we reach 20,000 people every single day through our social media, through our online ground schools, everything else. I jokingly say, so if we reach 20,000 people every day, Madison Square Garden is like 19,000 something seats. So we fill Madison Square Garden every single day with pilots
0: watching our, our content. So it's pretty cool. It's, it really is, that's, that's so, so wonderful. So tell me, where's the name come from? Sure, so back to
1: careers in aviation, one of those options, I was gonna be a military pilot. It was the F-15E, that was the cool thing, it probably still is the cool thing at, at this time in the, in the military. Um, I did the ASVAB test, I did JROTC in high school, I was F-15 pilot all day long, ready to go, talking to the recruiter on the phone, And then one day I showed up to the recruiter's office and said, Jason, I am so sorry. I made a big mistake. I never asked you how tall you are. What's tall have to do with anything? So they measure, and it's not just height, it's it's actually seated height. So they measure from the hips down for how long you are seated, leg length, uh, as well as torso. My legs were too long if they had to eject me out of the f 15 e So long story short, I wanted to fly at Mach 1. I am now flying at Mach 0, my little 172s. So it's Mach 0 aviation is born.
0: That's I, I had never heard that before. That's fascinating. I, I mean, I'm sorry that we don't have you uh, in the cockpit of an F-15, but I'm really glad that we don't have you in the cockpit of an F-15. I <laughs> I
1: so is my mother. My mother's happy about that too.
0: <laughs> that's, that's really amazing. And so you went into flight training, you know, so many things in aviation. I've always said, we are a community of mentors. And w- you, once you get the bug, you want to pass it on to someone else. Um, I, I wouldn't be an a and an IA if it weren't for mentors. And, and I have the same thing. I want to make more of them, like right. uh, I want to convince people to do it. And so how did that transition happen from direct flight instruction to you deciding you're going to actually turn this into a company and have to take a step back a little bit wow. so you can you can reach so many people?
1: Wow, what a good point. And, um... You're right. And that that's the beauty. And that's why I think you and I get along so well, is because both Social Flight and M0A share those similar missions. It's it's community, it's family, it's safer, smarter, pilots. It, aviation is a community that gives back. You know, we see that so often in Florida when there's hurricane victims. You see aviation used for that, aviation used for angel flight, now, now drones stepping into that picture as well. Um, I was just a flight instructor with a dream to make a living flying and started out just Jason and an airplane. And about this time, uh, there was a little company called Data Toys. I don't believe Data Toys exists anymore, but this is like before GoPros. Even they created these wired cameras to put in the cockpit. I thought, wow, this is a really and the air show. Performers were using them. They're kind of coming on the scene. I'm like, this is a really interesting idea. I've always been very, very passionate about business. And all of my business friends told me, Jason, there's one flaw with your business model. It's just Jason, It's there is no leverage. If Jason is not sitting in that airplane or that airplane is broken, you're not making any money. And I felt that, trust me, there, there were plenty of times when it was the end of the month and it was probably IFR and I shouldn't be flying, but the rents do. And people make silly decisions when when, when you add finances to the equations. So I said, wow, uh, maybe more airplanes, more instructors isn't, isn't the option. How can I take this online? This is, you know, way back now, 2008-ish, 2009-ish. Little company called YouTube is started in a garage, um, and we were actually one of the original YouTube channels. I just started uploading this content onto YouTube and getting feedback. I was a terrible presenter. It was, you know, I I would focus on the wall, the camera. This is, you know, DV, mini DV tapes, press record, run around hey everyone, Jason Shepard here, and then go back and hit record again and then do the edit. I, I did everything. And um, it grew from that. And, and then GoPro really helped um, helped our, our, our business a ton, technology. And that's that's an aspect. And Social Flight does this so well as well. We've continued to innovate through technology. Look, we're, we're running the whole 30-person business now from spare bedrooms all across the United States, essentially. Right. Um, we're, we're making do with, with what we have and continuing to embrace that technology. So we're a, we're a company built. I mean, the company was actually started, ironically, tax day, April 15th, 2008. You know as a businessman starting a business on tax day i had no clue what i was doing and then by the way 2008 about to enter into the the great recession i just thought i was a really bad business person i didn't know there was a recession at the time I, we're just a scrappy little company that's continued to, <laughs> to grow but living on that that idea that every day we wake up to make safer smarter pilots yeah and, and that's just what we do
0: and I, and I can I, obviously you I can feel it and all of your viewers can feel obviously your passion. Um, uh, you're being modest, though, about your abilities in doing it, because one of the things that is so significant is about what you're presenting and mm-hmm. how you're presenting it, and I'm telling you, I've got two tough critics here in the house that they're critics of me and uh, and everything that when when I put together video work, and um, and Jake, having just got it, done his check ride last week, awesome. uh, and Ben now in his in his training, have been very clear when I talked to them, uh, especially about talking to you. They said yes. That he explains things succinctly. There's sure. nothing extra in there. They, they said that they learned how uh, to go into controlled airspaces and be able to get through that. He said, once I had spent some time with uh, on Jason's videos of dealing with controlled airspace, I met with my flight instructor. He just signed me off and I went. I knew what I was doing. That's awesome. I mean, so there really is a technique and, sure. and a nuance to the the education that you're providing that that's really admirable do, do you feel how much of that was just your natural way of communicating versus things that you evolved and and, and honed your craft through feedback over the years
1: it's uh, it is you're absolutely right it's it's a honed craft and i still try to get better and better so i am um i'm a super book nerd i'm a book a week kind of person and my favorite books are the science and psychology of how we learn, memory retention. Do flashcards work? What's the perfect flight lesson? Or, or you know, uh, is it is it every day? Is it every and just tuning all these things and always trying to work. Actually, one of my long-term dreams is to take exactly what you said. I mean, we we advertise what you just explained as flight training in plain English. Is, is how we sell it as a unique selling proposition. One of my dreams is actually my, my favorite course I've shot thus far is fundamentals of instruction for, for CFI candidates. And again, sure. so so often they go into just this rote memorization, you know, ABC, let's just use a gouge or whatever to remember it. But that's not the right way. If flight instructors really went through the FOI, and I want to take FOI up a notch, that's, that's a course I'm really excited to redo and even go beyond and make it more real-world applicable. If you right. can have flight training that is in plain English and it's real world applicable. That is one of the main ways we can work to grow the pilot population, because gone are the days of just going out to the practice area, beating up the traffic pattern. That's not what students are training for yet. That's how we're trained. You go to this practice area, you talk on this frequency to other people, you land at your home airport and that's about it. But I'm becoming a pilot because let's say my, my parents now live in Tennessee and I wanna go visit them. Someone has kids, they're now off to college. Um, we wanna go places with our certificate, yet we just go to the practice area and back. Right. So you have to start making training more real world applicable and break it into plain English. And again, I learned that the hard way. I, I was not a good instructor for a very long time. I was like most instructors, and this isn't a knock on flight, so instructors in the least bit. But you know it too because you've seen it, Jeff. Is most flight instructors become flight instructors to number one, finally get paid and yeah. build some hours till we get to that magic 1500 and Delta or United or Mesa or whoever is calling me and I'm gone. That's right. the typical path for things. So it's, um, it's unfortunate. It, it, it makes sense, but it's just that, that's how it is. Not everybody's meant to be an instructor.
0: Right. It's interesting and it's something I've I've, I've always been uh, also kind of uh, had this idea and this passion about that, you know, we, we there's such an attrition rate that has always followed aviation training. It's uh, yes. tough on so many people that we, we follow these traditional guidelines, which you're breaking many of those down. Sure. To me, it seemed like the next step is, can we actually to take the, the people who come through the door or virtually through the door to folks like mm-hmm. yourselves and and, and be custom to them to understand what their goal actually is yes. and and bring them to it because if someone is coming to you and saying well the real reason I want to do this is because I have a real estate business and I want to you know be able to support my business someone else says uh, you know I I've just always wanted to do it. And then the third person says that, it, well, they wanted to go on vacation or be able to, uh, you know, easily have a, um, a, a home at a location that's hard to get to, a vacation home or something. Mm-hmm. We, we seem to either never ask the question or not integrate it into their training. And it would seem to me that like, why, why aren't your flights for flight training to that guy who has a real estate business? Why isn't it like, great, tell me your calendar because those are going to be our trips yes we're going to give you the goal the end result of where you're going to be now at the beginning of your flight training that would be so wonderful
1: well you're you're spot on and the problem is We live in this world where this is our approved 141 syllabus and that's that. You'll Mm -hmm. you'll solo and the syllabus says you'll solo. You'll go on these prescribed cross countries because that's what's approved in our TCO. And and that's the, you know, the 141 world. I've always taught in a, I've been in both environments, taught in both environments. If I had a choice, I would love to teach part 61 and a half, I call it. I have the (laughs) flexibility and freedom of part 61 to adapt. But the structure of a syllabus that I would create just for that real estate professional, just for that person who they and their spouse want to go on those vacations, because a syllabus is only as good as the person that's making it and it has to adapt and change. As another example, I always some the advice I always give new flight instructors. They say, Jason, I got my first student. What what should I do? What 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 advice do you have for a new flight instructor? And my advice is always the same that you cannot teach the same maneuver the same way to each person. So let's say I have two students. One is very entrepreneurial. They're a type A big picture type personality. The other is an engineer at Google, right? Let's teach that each of these people steep turns. Well, the engineer is going to probably want a ground lesson before all of this. They're going to want to understand the vertical and horizontal components of lift. They're going to want to see it maybe demonstrated first, maybe even practice on a simulator, then go out and do it. This type a entrepreneur is going to be, Hey, show me one, Jason, then I'm going to do one. We'll figure out the details later. Right. Learning styles are a, are a very real thing, preferred learning styles. So as an instructor, I I really believe you're part psychologist and all Mm. of that and figuring out how it's going to click, figuring out when your students has just had enough, because you and I have both been on flight lessons where landing number seven comes around. You're like, I. it's like when you drove somewhere, but you don't know how you even made it there. Landing number seven, you're like, I landed safely, but I don't even <laughs> remember the setup. I'm so behind this plane, I'm mentally
0: exhausted, so. Good point, good point, excellent. I mean, you really do have to, have to do that now. Now, how do you do that when, you, when, you're, when you're doing it virtually, uh, when you're doing it through M0A? Yes, it, it, it poses a lot of
1: unique challenges. So one differentiating factor for M0A is we're never just here's a course and good luck. Every Tuesday afternoon, I do a two hour webinar, an hour for VFR content, an hour for IFR content with all our members and it's our accountability session. It's the, hey, Jeff, I noticed you haven't been on the webinars lately or you haven't logged in lately, is everything okay? It's the, hey, you know, so-and-so, we're doing a mock check ride tomorrow. I know you've got yours coming up here. I'm gonna ask you questions. You're gonna type in your answers in the chat. We're gonna get that feedback. It's the mentorship, it's the accountability, it's the questions, and I teach on a small topic as well, but we are all about the community aspect
0: of it. It's not just, Here's a so course it, is to very one. it is very one-to-one, and it is very about the co- connectivity side. That, that's fascinating. Mm-hmm. I like it a lot. And I know you know, one of the things, of course, is that you, so much of your content is basically given away. And yes. I, obviously, your business, obviously, it's, it's a wonderful, wonderful place to get your content, to learn how to fly and sign up for your courses, et cetera. But your model seems to be giving a lot of the, the best stuff away.
1: It, it, you are you're spot on. And it's so funny. The number one thing that happens at trade shows is someone comes up to us at a trade show and goes, hey Jason, I haven't watched your product, but I watch all your videos. And they almost feel bad like to say that to me. I'm like, no, that, that is what it's for. Our entire business model, you're right. It is a give first business model. I believe the things that you want most in life, you have to give it away. You wanna be wealthy, you, you, you need to be generous with your, your wealth, your time, these sort of things. You want love, you better give love to somebody. Um, you want success, let me help make others successful and there is no choice but for success to come back to us and our team, so yes, uh, every week, we give away some of our best content, always new and fresh content, 600-something-plus videos out there on YouTube, um, and then another six or 700 inside our actual online ground school. Obviously, that's that's membership-based and paid, but that's our premise. You love our free videos? Imagine how good the paid videos are in, inside the course. And it, you know, it does quite well for us. Although, to the outsider looking in, I think Jason has lost it because <laughs> he has given away everything out there. So, um, quite, it's quite the opposite.
0: You, you have the Zen approach uh, of doing this, and and the yes. world is bringing it back to you uh, in in spades, and it's very very well deserved. So I, I love it. And speaking of that, it, it starts probably with your your book, the uh, sure. the Private Pilot Blueprint. Um, yes. Can you Tell me about this. How did this get started? And we'll sure. find out about it. Sure. I actually set up a copy. So um, I wrote the private pilot blueprints under
1: the premise of what I wish someone would have told me before I started my flight training. How to save time, how to save money in the entire process. All the questions we get asked. Do I need to buy a headset? Do I need to buy a flight bag? What should I do with this? Should I fly that sr 20 or that Cessna 150? All the questions everybody asks because, unfortunately, not all... Um, flight schools are as friendly as you and i and and some kind of have that country club type vibe that you walk in everyone kind of looks at you and go, who's the new guy i I'm, I'm out to break down those barriers so uh the private pilot blueprint does that the two biggest killers of flight train dreams are time and money and you either have one you don't have the other it's just how it works so we we talk about budgeting for flight train, not just to get your certificate but what about the next 50 hours yeah. thereafter as well because we need to stay proficient we're not gone are the days of just i'm a current pilot i did my three takeoffs and landings and, and let's let's go honey you know hop in the plane that we we want to build proficiency around this so um that's what the private pilot blueprint is and again back to the giving model it's a free book we give it away free at trade shows um or we'll ship it to you uh if you just pay shipping and handling so we call it free plus shipping you go to privatepilotblueprint.com in the us i think it's six or seven bucks um just for the for Sarah to put it in an envelope and send it out to you—that's um, uh, that's how we
0: structure all that. Again, that give first mentality, just to grow aviation. I think it's a great idea. I mean, I wish that I, 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 you're right. Not every flight school has the same approach. Some do, some don't. But I almost you almost wish that there was a, a big you know vacuum pull from the airport fence that grabs yes. everyone looking through the fence and pulled them into the flight school and. Yes. And instead of uh, hey, give us fifty bucks for a you know an introductory flight, it was like, well, we're going to do repositioning. Want to come? Want to come? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Let's I find a way to get more people in. And it is so it's so addictive, and that may be what this common bond is. Because as I mentioned, it's not it's not limited even to pilots. It mm-hmm. is it is the same thing is true for aircraft ownership. The same thing is true for uh, mechanics. Like if you are one there's something unique about aviation that makes you want to make more people bring more people into that fold what Absolutely. do you think that is why is it why is aviation so unique in this manner It
1: it has that certain cachet to it doesn't it when you tell people you know you, I, i'm a pilot how do you know there's a pilot in the room well they'll tell you that they're a pilot in the room right we're proud of we're proud of what we do we're not always a humble bunch with that but But we're not
0: exclusive, that's the uniqueness. I mean, it's true that we're not the only passion out there that that is open to new people, but we seem to be the most passionate group about being inclusive and about trying to build our ranks. It's, you're spot on. And I think it's
1: mostly because there's such a level of respect respect in the sense that everybody put in the same amount of effort the same amount of hours to get to where they are in flight training you know it's great yeah boaters get together and and motorcycle enthusiasts get together and those are simple classes and certificates but to become a pilot is a multi-month sometimes multi-year investment uh it's kind of like we're all you know veterans fighting the same fight in a way to to aspire towards proficiency. I think there's just a certain mutual respect that goes that way, and you wanna bring others into this, uh, this you know, fraternal group as well.
0: I wonder if, if, if there's some of it that has to do with the preservation of our, of our passion, because um, you, you think about, I, I don't know if, whether it translates to other areas, but I do know that when you think about an airport, you go to the average person who's based there or flies out of there, and you said, would you like to have twice as many people here, twice as many planes, twice as many pilots, mm. everyone would be like, yep, absolutely. Like, a- absolutely. It's uh, no one's worried about losing space or, or preserving a, a boat slip or anything like that. And right. we, we want to make more of them. So right. you're obviously doing a pretty, pretty strong job of doing this. Um, the aircraft that you fly get a lot of attention as well. Yes. yes. Um, uh, and that's not unfortunately from the last time that I uh, saw you and your plane at the last Air Venture, had a tough time yes. uh, with a storm. But uh, tell me how you've progressed through aircraft for your company. Wow, uh, great question.
1: So, 23 Mike Zulu is, uh, is the celebrity of the business, it's our baby. Uh, last Air Venture, as you alluded to, it was the victim of an F1 tornado. It was our blessing in disguise. So, it was out on the ramp. At the Appleton Airport, there was nothing much you could do. You could have tied it down however you wanted to. Um, it was A TBM got flipped around. A bunch of the airplanes got messed up. We got kind of picked up, dropped on the wing tip, and then drug, uh, which ended up damaging the spar. Well, hmm. when they went to go in to look at the wing spar anyways to put the new wing on, they noticed intergranular corrosion, Which, which I'm sure you know what it is. But to explain to everybody else, intergranular corrosion is literally eating itself from the inside out so by the time you see intergranular corrosion it's because it's surfaced a little bit slightly now when that happens on a vital component like a wing spar it could literally i'm not uh, i'm not a hype person or anyone to exaggerate it literally could lead to a catastrophic failure and the mechanic doing the work said jason this was three to four years away from a catastrophic failure like bend in a soda can back and forth back and forth back and forth it's eventually going to uh uh to break so Without a doubt, our blessing in disguise and a fact of just having aircraft in Florida. Um, it, it ironically, it's back now. The airplane is. We had to get it repainted. Uh, it's getting rewrapped. The the cool uh, we call it the pixel camo, the triangle. Yeah. plane. That's just a wrap. Uh, so the company's doing that. The uh, the Fizdo just signed off on that. So we got the wrap coming back on. We just had our corrosion treatment done to all our new uh, aluminum on there. And it's basically a 2020 airplane from 1972 um, yet again. Now, wow. even before that, we did an entire avionics um, overhaul. We went, we decked, just decked it out with uh, everything Avidyne. Uh It is an instrument flying machine now and i'm just so blessed and thankful to uh to have it back so it's getting the wrap uh in two three weeks and you won't even know the difference it'll be it'll be back to normal it is flying right now i just flew it yesterday actually we're doing a new series called the secret to perfect landing so excited to have it back finally we're also restoring uh my original cessna 150 um doing uh, some
0: avidine avionics in there so it's very cool that is so cool. And, and I have to say, I saw that thing about bringing the original Cessna 150 back yeah. and that touched my heart. We are, I have a, a, a just a, a set of pictures of my uh, boys from three months old. And we yes. were in Grumman's, for, uh, one Grumman in particular, all the way through until we uh, upgraded and got the Bonanza when we outgrew it. And yes. that plane still is out there. We saw it at AirVenture. It's amazing how the first aircraft that really touches your life stays with you. And I know you got to bring it back. Uh, I yes. get bugged constantly by these guys saying, yeah, when's it coming back? Um, now, what that like? it, it was
1: that It was incredible and a little bit scary. I'll, I'll just share the the abbreviated version of the story. So I bought 512 Romeo, uh, a 1975 Cessna 150 Mike at 18 years old. I had a job, <laughs> uh, I had a job flying traffic around Jacksonville, Florida. And was just saving up my money and ended up buying this thing ten thousand dollars cash like this was it was a big deal um so i had that it was just jason in an airplane that's how the business started the original videos are in 512 romeo um launched m0a launched the business and it was not a financial success by any means in fact um i was broke on broke behind on rent behind on hangar rent the only means of of paying that. And on top of that, I had just had an engine, lost a cylinder on takeoff in 512 Romeo. Uh, I'm I'm breezing through the story here. Needless to say, I'm behind on rent, behind on hangar rent, literally to the point where they just moved me outside and tied me down because I couldn't pay my hangar rent anymore. Now I lost a cylinder, don't have the money to pay for the cylinder. I had to sell the airplane in its current condition just to satisfy my, my debtors. Um, was got smart business-wise, started finally making some decent money and went to track down 512 Romeo that had the cylinder put back in it. So a little bit of work done to it. This is now seven, eight years later, purchasing the 150 back, my first time in it was flying, ironically, off the same runway where I lost a cylinder. And I don't know if you've had any any scares like that, but losing a cylinder on takeoff and only able to maintain 400 feet while the engines vibrate and shaking like crazy, all those feelings kind of came back wow. as I flew the airplane back home to, uh, to our uh, new facility. So uh, it is back we are going to rebrand it 512 mike zulu to brand everything as mike zulu but keep the original 512 from for the history of it it's getting painted it's going to get wrapped it's getting avidine avionics we're going to keep it standard six pack though so i this way with the ground school i can teach glass and i can teach standard steam gauges um as well but yes um There's a story that Papa John shares from Papa John's Pizza about buying his original delivery car back when he was a a Pontiac Firebird uh, when he was uh, delivering his first pizzas and he had to sell it because he fell in hard times and just recently bought it back, too. So it's it's cool.
0: So we can all we can all dream of of making it to that level and then uh, buying back uh, the things that got us started. Isn't that something? Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. So, so um, let's talk avionics for a moment there. And obviously we're both fans of Avidyne and and, uh, and they're obviously a sponsor of the show as well. But uh, I have always found it to be very intuitive. How does it fit in for your philosophies of teaching and, and how you do, how you uh, how you work the systems? Sure. So uh, two big
1: philosophies. First off, learn every single thing you can on the ground. Gone are the days of just direct, enter, enter, follow the pink line, right? Like you are unlocking 1% of what that 550, that 440, whatever it is in front of you can actually do. So taking the time to use the iPad trainer, whatever it is, sitting down, going to the trade shows, whatever, to learn how to truly unlock its full potential. We have a ton of great videos out there, most of them on YouTube. Uh, for everyone to check out as well to better master their avidine avionics suite the main thing avidine does for me though is it helps me stay ahead of the airplane i'm always thinking what trying to think one step ahead of the airplane easier said than done sometimes you as an avidine pilot will appreciate this the avidine does so much of that thinking for me even when i'm twisted and looking for an airport it just knows the airport's nearest me it doesn't start at A in the alphabet and work all its way through. It knows I'm closest to Ocala. It knows where I'm going. It knows when I go to program a frequency, these are the frequencies you're probably going to need. Here's the ASOS for the airport that you already put in your flight plan that you're going to. I love using the keyboard in there because I can pass it to a passenger and say, hey, can you put KOCF in there? Because that's where we're going. And they just get the coolest kick out of that, typing something on the keyboard, seeing it happen on the Avidine. Um, it is so intuitive for how we fly you can uh you can truly tell the engineers who built that were pilots or at least had some pilots while over their shoulders telling them no do this instead of this because um it's it's interesting as i switch between say avidine and a competitor of avidines let's say and with that competitor i'm like oh haven't i just does it for me in fact that's a joke at the at the office whenever we fly with uh in a competitor's plane, let's say, it's, oh yeah, I was trying to do this and I had to do it this way because I'm so used to Avidyne, which does it for me. Right. always thinking of a step ahead. So it's um, it's an outstanding piece of hardware. There's an entire reason we're installing it now in our second airplane as well, not just for the standardization of it all, but because it, it is, it's truly, I believe their motto is for pilots who know the difference and, and there, there couldn't be any more truth to that.
0: Yeah, you know, it's fascinating to me and my whole career was coming up through avionics that uh, it's always been fascinating to me about the impact that this evolution has had of technology on the cockpit. Because you go back to the steam gauge world and you have all the training to be competent in that and even flip-flop digital radios or whatever. And um, what we thought of, of currency and proficiency got turned on its head Wow. When so much technology came in, uh, and it and we started experiencing something I think we never did before during those years, which was how pilots would get themselves into trouble by not be not understanding what the plane was doing at that point. Wow. The, getting into the situation of not knowing, okay, if I press this, what's it going to do i press the autopilot on what's it gonna and all of a sudden we started seeing accidents started Mm -hmm. seeing all sorts of problems that are now that curves coming back down because the avionics are now being designed in such a way that uh the learning curve is much lower the intuitiveness is there and also folks like yourself are training people i think much much better for it
1: Absolutely, go back to the JFK Jr. accident. JFK Jr. had an autopilot in his plane. Do we know if he knew how to properly use it? Was there that beautiful blue level button? Those answers I, I don't have. Um, but an autopilot is a phenomenal example. And I talk about this all the time on the webinar with our members, that anything in your cockpit is fair game for the check ride. And mm-hmm. most of them will say, well, Jason, I've got this autopilot, but my, and I'm just a private pilot or an aspiring private pilot. My instructor's never taught me how to use it. And you're right, Uh, you look through the ACS for private pilot, there's not a mention of autopilot, but I'm telling you, a checkride examiner sees that, they'll look in the ACS and look at the line that says all available cockpit resources. And that's where the autopilot fits into that equation. The same is true for instrument candidates. When you look and you've got an ADF in the plane, you better know how to shoot an NDB approach. Um, (laughs) a, A funny story, when I was in collegiate aviation, we had we had adfs and before instrument check rides we'd always flag them as in op just you know just in case anybody thought about you no know, don't share that story with anybody then no, we just broadcast <laughs> it to a thousand people but we would always i really don't want to do an ndb approach on this check ride so i'm um, sorry mr and miss examiner the adfs just inop today it's not, work. <laughs> it's not <laughs> working but i i grew up in that in that time frame of you know my instrument rating gps approaches were not a thing it was VORs and, N- and NDBs and localizer back courses and all those crazy things like that. Um, that you have a hard time thinking. there's 14 localizer back courses left. There's only so many NDBs left and they're they're on their way out. VORs are next, as we know. I had to go back and relearn GPS.
0: Hmm. Interesting. And that's, mm-hmm. and it, it, I, I concur. I mean, that makes a lot of sense. I, I remember seeing something where all the difference between before and after so much of the technology with FMSs came in, um, I started to see uh, con- uh, behaviors in pilots flying and deviations that you never had before. Even when you had autopilots back when it was like dial in a VOR or dial something and you press the autopilot, comes on, everything's fine. We went through a period of time, which I've still gotten in with other pilots, where yes. they turn on an autopilot, and the first thing that happens is the plane yanks its way oh, one yeah. direction or another. it's the bug? The second, or tw- Oh, yeah. Right? Oh, the second yeah. thing that happens, the pilot looks down and figures out, oh, yeah. PPSS isn't turned on. Oh, yes. I'm following a heading bug. I never aligned. It's and over here. Think, yeah. Yeah. You want unusual latitudes? Turn on your autopilot without yeah. thinking about it.
1: You got it. Exactly. It's learning our systems and it's, it's having that strong single pilot resource management as well. If it's just you on board, crew resource management could be the, the radios, the programming, and, and having all of that um, out there. Uh, many of our um, employees are, uh, are, are airline pilots themselves, and they help with customer support. And they're always on me, Jason, your heading bug should always be underneath your heading. And, and I was never taught that way. My heading, I use my heading bug when I use heading mode on my autopilot, and that's, that's about it. But they're training the airline environment because of exactly what you just said—the bug is always on your head. And you change ten degrees, you rebug it. And It's just always there, always done that way. So they're ingraining that uh, that in me as well. Even even I have bad habits that may not be to say airline standards or whatever. To just to keep learning and always growing with
0: that. So do you spend uh, do, uh, through using avionics as quite a bit of the video and education work that you're doing? You have to, uh, it
1: is it's such an important aspect there. There's two schools of thought on this. I realize, private pilots, we are working on a VFR certificate. We are looking outside. So easy. Just get glued to this beautiful screen. That's sitting there in front of us, but there's a balance. I don't want these avionics to become such a crutch that when they fail, you have no clue how to fly the airplane. I need you looking outside but I don't need you looking outside so much that you don't know how to use the avionics at all and these amazing tools at your disposal. So what we teach is that balance. Uh, If we relate iPad technology to this, it's it's a perfect example. I don't let students use an iPad until after they're solo when we're diving into cross countries. Because honestly, before they're solo, an iPad does nothing more than serve as a distraction. I need you outside. I need you to feel in the airplane. I need you to feel what uncoordinated flight feels like. I need you to listen to what too low or too high of RPMs sounds like. You got to feel the airplane. True stick and rudder skills. Then after you solo, I'll work an iPad in slowly for your solo cross countries and everything else and work with the avionics suites a little bit more uh, and then segue into it is typically how we structure our syllabus.
0: Oh, I love that approach because I mean, there's it's you can't leave one segment of aviation behind or one segment of competency behind is a better way of putting it. This is mm-hmm. the, the stick and rudder is so important. And by the same token, you can't only do that and not understand your autopilot. Um, um, so that that's that's very fascinating. Are you also in, uh, moving into areas or, or been into areas that have to do with like tail draggers or things like that as well?
1: Yeah, absolutely. My favorite airplane we own is a 1940s J3 Cub. And if I could have my way, everybody would start in a J3 Cub, no electrical system. You look at the airspeed, you look at the tachometer and boy, that's about all you have. So you just better be looking outside and that's an airplane you feel. It only weighs 600 pounds. So you feel every knot of wind (laughs) impact that airplane. You learn crosswind technique, wheel landings. Uh, But yes, absolutely. Uh, I think becoming, I don't think, I know, becoming a tailwheel pilot will make you a better pilot. That is an airplane. I don't care if it's a cub or if it's a pits or whatever it is, that is an airplane you truly feel, especially when it comes to landings. You want to get better at landings? Go find yourself a
0: tailwheel to fly. That's fantastic. I like that. And, and I've heard that that concept of you learn in a tailwheel, you're learning a cub or something like that, such as where you're teaching people, then there's no to those pilots. There's no such thing as graduating to the feet on a floor airplane. That doesn't no. exist because they have a different idea of what landing on the center line or being coordinated in a turn means. Everybody else is like, yeah, the ball's close. Exactly. Um, Exactly. And it's the same approach. It's the, let's learn in the
1: 1940s J3 Cub. Then for your instrument, we can step into that glass panel. We can step into that Avidyne suite. We can step into something that you can actually truly utilize that
0: technology to the fullest. Wow. Well, we're definitely going to be, I personally will be digging into that series very closely because uh, it's time for us to start that tailwheel training. You look behind me, we've got our uh, Mustang getting built there and that'll be the first tailwheel uh, in the family. And I'm not going to, not going to learn by spinning it around in circles. So I'm really looking forward to that. That is outstanding. You had to pick maybe favorite area of training or favorite video or favorite, anything that, that you've done. What do you think would, would Would come to mind what puts the biggest smile on your face of the work you've done my my odd passion is landings because there is nothing more rewarding
1: than working i used to be like this weird landing doctor that people would come to and and still do just now through the videos but it started in person where in other instructors at the craig airport in jacksonville where i was based at the time and then obviously down in ocala would literally say jason I've got the 60 hour student. I don't think he'll ever solo, but I just can't get rid of him. Can you take him as your student? And I love these so-called problem students that, that really didn't have any problems whatsoever. It was just they and the instructor butted heads. Uh, there were some issues there. there. They didn't have the explanations in plain English. Um, one of the students I took on, I will never forget, and it helped me transition or change a word um, that's used so often i know you've watched a lot of our content especially the boys have you probably know that i teach not to use the word flare i'd rather you use the word transition and that came from one of these former problem students who we are coming into land we are coming into land and as we get to about 25 15 feet above the runway I said the word flare to him. Well, flare to him meant legs locked out at the knees, yoke all the way back at the chest like this. And we just go like this. I mean, we are gonna hit this ground hard. And we just turn that into a go around. And later I talked to him about that. And he said, well, Jason, when I think of a flare, I picture this is back when the space shuttle is still flying. The space shuttle would come in and land like this. The 747 would come in and land like this. That's what I think of when he thinks of a flare. So I said, wow, you're right. In general aviation we don't really flare yes the mains touch followed by the nose but there's never a time when you're sitting in an attitude like this you can't see the runway why don't we try to just transition like you want to fly slow flight down the runway and we actually did slow flight down the runway we came around he saw the runway the entire time because the nose was just up two or three degrees and had his first good landing in a very long time and That's fantastic. i love I love the psychology of that. I love helping students break through plateaus and what they believe are learning barriers. I love, I had a student who was dyslexic and that was probably one of my favorite students I had because I had to get so creative with what they were telling me, what I was telling them to make sure that message was translated appropriately. Um, A lot of just
0: fascinating things coming from other people's so-called problem students. That's, that's a great story. I, and I can tell you that you have uh, personally eliminated the word flare from our lexicon, thanks to uh, the uh, chain of command that goes yes. uh, from you, uh, through yes. Jake and Ben to me. So that, uh, that never comes in when we do that. Now, now we just have to figure out, let me ask you this one as, it, as, yeah. as one of the gurus of instruction in the world. When we're flying, yes. you, you've got what? 20, 18 inches in between the center of each of our heads from left seat to right seat. Yeah. Why is there such a massive difference of perspective when switching left seat and right seat in such a small aircraft? And do you have any tips on overcoming that when you're dealing with wanting to, you know, fly for right seat, et cetera? It's so funny.
1: I just talked about this yesterday for our secret to Perfect Landing series. So you know me, I'm obsessed with the right seat. I only sit in the right seat. It is because if I sat in the left seat, I just wouldn't be able to fly at the level that I can in the right seat. My eyes are used to that parallax effect of scanning the instruments. It's just, I'm used to it when you're in the right seat and you're right, there's 18 inches between you. And if you're next to a big person, your shoulders are touching in the the airplanes in the right seat, how the perception is set up. I put center line on literally on the center of my chest or right on your nose, however you want to word it. When you're on a long final, all the way to touchdown, if you put that center line on your chest, you'll hit center line every time yet in the left seat as you know you need to put center line somewhere kind of like on your right a little bit more is where center line ends up lining up and it's simply that parallax same thing the right seat person has the problem scanning the instruments that that's all it really is but you have to know and you have to set that way back up on a long final otherwise you're going to be lining up um you know the my team always gets mad at me they're on like a two-mile final i'll tell wayne or matt or somebody else say wayne you're going to land in the grass left of the runway. No, I, no, I'm not. No, I'm not. We get down to, he just keeps holding it. We get down to 600 feet. He goes, all right, maybe not the grass, but the taxiway. You know, and then we, <laughs> we, come, we come back over. it's just years of, of seeing that picture and burning that picture into your brain. The same is true of steep turns. You should be able to do steep turns with the instruments covered because you've seen that sight picture. I, I, I always use that phrase, burn this sight picture into your brain because that's what it looks like to the left and to the right. They're a little bit different, but if you stay in that same airplane, if you're smart as a student, put your seat in the same configuration every single time. So renters pay attention to that too. My, I I'm super weird. My seat is always cranked to the lowest point as you can, as you can imagine being six foot four. So seats always crank the lowest point. And I always look down and I should, I should see three, uh, three little seat rail holes and that's where my seat is every single time. And I always confirm that. It's a part of my pre-takeoff check. <laughs> seat is where it is. So renters, flying club you know, members, make sure your seats always say hey, it's three cranks up, two pegs back, whatever it is. Because once you commit and have that sight picture for landings,
0: for slow flight, for steep turns, keep it the same every single time. It's, it, it, it's amazing because that, uh, no matter how much you use your panel for things like those steep turns, as you mentioned, or things like that, nothing, nothing seems to compare to having that sight picture of where is the actual intersection with the horizon and your, and your glare shield and your view, yes. um, and what is the size of the wedge that you're looking at. That, that'll solve it all day long compared to anything yes. that you've looked down at your panel. But yes. uh, it, as you said, it's remarkable, the difference left and right. And I, of course, only bring that up because I've got uh, two guys that are going, yeah, we kind of want you in the right from now on. Yeah, uh, you know, it won't me in the right. And then pretty soon between two of them, they're going to want me in the back. So I, I, exactly I there, <laughs> exactly. You can get the frequencies 414 flight and tell them, you know, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> doing. exactly. Or the good news is, uh, uh, with Avidon, you've got the IFD 100 on the iPad. You can control get some navigation. You can control some frequencies. I'll be able to yeah, do that on your the the keyboard the back here, dad, but get our flight planning for us. Absolutely. So, I mean. You know, we, we created Social Flight Live to uh, help people to provide some inspirational stories and to, to support general aviation during, of course, a very challenging time with the coronavirus pandemic. How has that affected um, you, your family, how uh, uh, your business? Um, it seems like like things are still moving along for you. It is. We are, we are very, very proud, very, very blessed to have not...
1: Um, anyone off during this time of our 30 plus employees, certainly sales have dipped. You know, it's very interesting. We have, we have a very weird phenomenon that's happening right now. Probably the same thing like uh, a Netflix or a Hulu is dealing with That Everybody's at home. So activity is through the roof. Well, I'm stuck at home. I might as well keep going through ground school. So activity is through the roof. So, you know, payroll dollars for us are up big because we have so many CFIs in there helping and supporting these people. We do phone support, live chat support, email support. So activity is up for us. Payroll activity has gone up a lot too. And unfortunately, sales have dipped a little bit. It's just a fact. I think that's true across well, the light board. Flight were close. That, that didn't help. Oh, no, it, it, it didn't help. But you know, I, I, I'm a little bit weird um, I believe that in every adversity, there's a seed of an equivalent or better advantage, and you know I believe we have found that advantage, and we've used this opportunity to pick, a, pick up some amazing hires, bring on some more part-time people, full-time, and I believe we have strengthened the M08 community, uh, the m a nation, as we call it, through all of this because. When everybody else was cutting their advertising, cutting their videos, cutting all that, we just stepped on the gas a little bit more and it was certainly expensive to do it. But um, we're in the business of making fans for life, but we're not in the business of a one off transaction. See you later. Um, we, we want fans and customers for life. We want to be a part of your flying career uh, is what we're really after. And. Um, I know aviation has been hit very, very hard, and I know I read the headlines all the time of United and Delta and these possibility of furloughs. And I had so many friends and coworkers uh, that were in training classes for a lot of these airlines that have now just said, "We don't, we don't need you." Um, this too shall pass, though. And in fact, if you're looking for the advantage to whomever's watching this, thinking, "Jason, this was my career. Is this still a smart option?" I still believe there's no, especially now there's no better time to get re-engaged in your flight training. We have now just been flooded with a bunch of amazing flight instructors that unfortunately were laid off from the airlines. They're gonna be coming back to flight schools and can share such wisdom and expertise with you now. This is the time to buckle down, continue to invest in yourself, invest in your aviation career, because we'll be using the words pilot shortage Uh, as soon as a vaccine is released. And that's just my, I'm a super optimistic person about that. So take that that for what it's worth. But I I truly believe the word pilot shortage will be uttered in in 2021,
0: 2022 Uh, again. I I think you're- absolutely right and we are kindred spirits when it comes to looking at this optimistically and looking for a silver lining and looking for an opportunity as to what this really means uh, to the world because if not only the people that were furloughed from those airlines but there were so many early retirement packages that have been taken that people that are pilots that have chosen now to make this the end of their career a little bit earlier that when this passes there's going to be if, if what we talked about as pilot shortage a year ago is going to be nothing compared to what we talk about wow. when all of this returns and becomes you know safe safe commercial travel and the public feels like they can fill up the airplanes just as well yes. uh, and then the, the other thing is, that we've seen in the industry as well is obviously we're vulnerable as general aviation industry the manufacturers the local businesses etc and so it's been so important to keep that going because those companies that have invested in the future um, by retaining their staff, et cetera, I think it's going to pay enormous, enormous dividends. Exactly. And we've seen, as you mentioned, the online content. This has been an opportunity to oh, open wow. people's it's... eyes about how we can reach people, uh, whether it be to select the product for their aircraft, to maintain their aircraft, to change the way they learn how to fly, um, we're reaching people in a way. Uh, and with an openness that I don't think will ever change, and, and completely go back to the way it was before. Yes, uh, you are—you're spot on. I, I will never forget the days.
1: I mean, I've been using the term online ground school for ten or twelve years now, and I remember first telling people, "I'm going to teach ground school online." And they're thinking, "No, no, you're not, Jason. Keep doing <laughs> your ground school class every Wednesday night at the at the FBO. That's what you should be doing." And I'm thinking, "No, I'm telling you." Uh, it's all about leverage, right? I'm limited. There's a sign that says, per the, the Duval County Fire Marshal, 30 people in this room. I, I'm physically <laughs> limited. So I'm going to teach this thing online. And I didn't have Zoom. I didn't have Google Hangouts. I didn't have GoToWebinar. I didn't have any of that stuff back then. We just, we, we found ways to to make it work. And I'll say it again, in every adversity, there's a seed of a greater advantage. And I think if you go into it with that attitude, you have an amazing leg up. Um in aviation what a, what a good point you made jeff all these you know people taking early retirements the seniority list just flipped like that didn't it which is such a, a coveted thing um in the airlines but this shortage is not just felt in in you know sitting the left or the right seat it's mechanics it's flight attendants
0: it's it's military aviation they are hungry hungry for pilots yeah yeah, well, you know, I think uh, for all of us, when, when this challenging phase of life passes, um, uh, the, the future and the next steps will all ha- uh, be based on how we all acted, what we did with our time during this, how we treated others, how we took care of each other. Um, and, I, and I think it'll pay dividends to all of us. And, and I would like to thank you for everything that you're doing at M0A during this time. It is incredibly supportive to general aviation. Uh, and yep. has been uh, i think inspirational to a lot of people during a very challenging time yes well thank you my friend it's it, it all comes back to that mission of making safer
1: smarter pilots giving before we can get um and i believe that's just the recipe for success
0: absolutely well again thank you so much for taking your time to me on this very special edition of social flight live brought to you by Avidine. Um, you know, it, it's it's obviously challenging on all of us that we cannot be in person at AirVenture this week. We all look forward to doing it. I'm sure that so many of your fans were looking forward to spending time with you personally. Uh, but it's it's a good second runner-up to have a few minutes to uh, to really get to, get to know you as a person and uh, hear more about your view, your accomplishments, and your life story to getting where you are, because I'm sure somewhere in the audience, there's someone else who's who's going to have the next big uh, uh, invention or method or other thing that will impact all of us and help lift this passion of general aviation up. Yes, no doubt, my friend. Well, thank you so much for what you do for aviation as well.
1: Uh, I know there's just great things uh, ahead for the aviation community uh, with, with both of us and many others, just continuing to invite, continuing to reach out, and
0: continuing to be that, uh, that voice for general aviation. Excellent, so Jason Shepard, m0a.com. Be sure if you do not already follow him and all of the great work that he does, be sure to check that out. Uh, you've got that great private pla- uh, pilot blueprint uh, book available. Um, so follow that as well. And uh, also of course, be sure to check out socialflight.com and the free socialflight mobile apps. We are all about giving you tens of thousands of destinations, missions, $100 hamburgers and programs just like this. We will be back with our regular Social Flight Live programs and many other fascinating guests to come in the coming weeks. Until then, I'm Jeff Simon for Social Flight. Thank you so much for joining us. Blue skies.